you are going to want to get out a piece of paper and a pen for this episode, or at least open up the notes in your phone, because today we are going to be laying down some major information and education on hormones and hormone optimization and imbalances and how to adjust them for weight and everything. I am super, super excited for this interview. When I very first started my podcast, even before I had recorded one episode, I said to myself, my first episode with the interview is going to be with Chris Walsh, who is the owner of WMS Hormone Optimization. So I actually went and saw him about a year ago, and I was so impressed that when I came in, I didn't feel like just another statistic, another person. He sat me down. We talked about what was going on. We talked about lifestyle. We talked about emotions and all these things. He took my blood work. I had like an extensive interview, and then I came back a couple weeks later, and he told me what was going on with me, which we'll talk about a little bit in the interview, but he is such a fantastic resource for hormones, and so today... We're going to get into a couple different topics. We're going to talk about what hormones are commonly off, some signs that you can look for for imbalances, how to fix them naturally. The cool thing about Chris is first he'll explain how to do things naturally and then sometimes you need supplements. We're going to talk about environmental tasks, how to advocate for your own health, and we're also going to talk about what, when to get tested, you know, when you're postpartum or just at any point, and what you need to ask your doctor for. Because sometimes when I'm working with clients, I will see they're they're eating right and they're exercising and they're not dropping weight. And I think you need to get your hormones tested. Something's going on. And I don't always know what to tell them to get tested for. So today we're going to talk about what to ask your doctor to check for if you feel like your hormones are off or if you're stuck in your weight and you're doing a pretty good job with your fitness and diet. And then we're also going to talk about what supplements to take. I actually even took a piece of this episode and I'm moving it to a whole nother episode where we're going to talk about some cool stuff. But today, those are the things that we're going to go over. Um, just so you guys know a little bit of a background on Chris, he served in the military for five years. He was in army. He was in the army as a military police officer. And while he was in the army, he actually competed in powerlifting and really fell in love with fitness and health. The cool thing about Chris is if you see him in person, He's an RN and he's super smart. Literally talking to him, he is so smart. But then he's like this fit buff man as well. So it's really interesting because he does a really good job of piecing together fitness and health as in the hormones. Because my husband, we'd seen a few doctors for hormones and I felt like they weren't very good at putting the two pieces together. Like when he had explained some stuff to the other doctor, we felt like he didn't understand the fitness side. So that's what's so cool about Chris is he knows both sides, the you know, the actual health and education side of it and how to connect it to fitness, which is super awesome. About 10 years ago, he was also a personal trainer, you know, after he competed in powerlifting and stuff. But 10 years ago, he started noticing his energy levels were dropping and he was seeing a steady decline with that. And he was putting on fat around his belly despite eating, you know, good and going to the gym, which I'm sure many of you relate to. So feeling uncertain how to proceed, he started to devour information about testosterone and like how that affected people. And the first thing he realized was that the information being taught to nurses, physicians and practitioners about testosterone in men was very different than what he was reading in the clinical studies. Then his wife, Liz, who also works in the practice with him, she started going through menopause and she was having hot flashes and memory loss and all these things were going on. And so, again, he is a learner. So he dove into women's hormones and what was going on. And he realized a lot of the clinical studies and curriculum being taught about women's hormones was actually very different than what he was seeing and what was being presented. 
So that's how he founded his practice, WMS Hormone Optimization. He's a member of the A4M Anti-Aging Academy, and he has literally devoted his entire practice to helping you empower your life through hormones and lifestyles to create an optimal environment for your priorities in life. And every time I have been in there or my husband's been in there, I feel like everyone I know goes goes into this clinic to see him. He is so great about piecing all the pieces together and you don't just feel like a number. So I'm super excited for this interview and for you guys to hear him. You're going to have to listen to this interview twice because he's going to lay down so much information for you guys. Here we go. Let's get started. My name's Andrea Allen, and I am a mother of four girls under seven, a wifey to a mountain man, a personal trainer, and a nutrition coach. I love all things women's health and fitness, but let's face it, the fitness industry is complicated, and it's not built for the everyday mom. There's so much conflicting information, and you're busy, and you don't have time to figure it out. I hate feeling confused and overwhelmed, so I have made it my mission to simplify health and fitness while creating a welcoming, realistic, and empowering home for like-minded women. I'm happy you're here, and I hope you stay a while. I am super excited to have Chris on the podcast. Actually, I should say Dr. Walsh, but I even went into him after I had my baby because I felt like my hormones are off, and he is literally a bomb of knowledge. So I'm super excited to have him. How are you, Chris? I'm very good. How are you doing today? I'm super good and more excited that you're here. I wanted you to do my first interview so bad because you were just so awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I hope I live up to it. <laughs> you totally will. So we're going to kind of ask a couple questions. I know you see patients all the time, men, women, menopause, people who have done postpartum, all different ages. But I feel like hormones is like the kicker for everyone. Like people are just are so confused by them. So, yes, the, the hormone system in the body is basically it, it's a stimulator, and so it is the signal that tells our body to do things. And whether we're talking about sex hormones or whether we're talking about thyroid or other signals, any interruption in your hormone pathways can have some pretty profound effects on the body. So it's a pretty deep hole you could go down, you know, especially if you don't know where you're looking for. But I would say that you know, fundamentally, making sure some of your base thing, your base hormones are, are at least in an appropriate range can work magic for, for overall. I mean, let alone talking about what you look like and, you know, what the physical, the physical appearance, you know, presents to the world. But a lot of times it's more important to get someone feeling well first. And so, yes, it's hormones are incredibly powerful. And so, um, I uh, went through it with my wife and going through it with my wife when she went through menopause, there, there was a lot to learn and, and now I love it. So, you know, I do it all day long. So yes, I do see, I see people of all ages, men and women. So it, it's a very rewarding profession. Totally. And I think it's an underserved because people feel a little bit lost. So let's talk about some of those hormones. Cause I know I feel like a lot of times all people ever hear is, oh, it must be your thyroid or it must be your thyroid. So I, let's talk about some of those hormones that when they are off, they do cause problems. Like what are the most common ones that you see off, especially in females? So the big ones in females, a lot of times we want to think that there's a hormonal problem. And so I do get a lot of patients that come in here looking to see why they can't lose weight. And very often the hormones are actually fine because the hormones are responding appropriately to our environment. And what I'm 
what I'm getting at there is that like, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not exercising appropriately, if I'm not mitigating my stress well enough, I can see that in the hormonal presentation, particularly of women, because women do tend to take a bigger hit with cortisol than men do. Um, you know, if, if I had to, to hazard a guess, I would say it's most likely because women care more than men. And so when we do get those stress hormones. I just like to say that you're the one that said women care more than men. Oh, absolutely. I have no problem saying that. I say that. So like if, you know, and, and let's, we'll just say what it is. So like I, I use this example quite often when I'm talking to patients. When a guy leaves the house, he's mission oriented. He just thinks of the task in front of him and he's going to carry on and you could ring, Hey, how are your kids? And and then for a moment there, he's like, Oh yeah, I have kids. Whereas when a woman leaves the house, she's thinking of everything in front of her and everything behind her. And so the woman takes on much more responsibility in the relationship than the man. And I think it's important that men hear this as well, because the woman will, the woman worries about everything. Is her husband or children going to eat their lunch on time? Are they going to be okay? Is someone going to be there to pick them up? you know, what have you, where the guy's like, yeah, my wife's got this. And and it really is the real thing. So, I mean, yeah, that's true. It's true. Just, just, I mean, we just got to be honest. And so when we're talking about how much stress load do you keep on yourself, you got to be fair with yourself. And so this is why, you know, part of what we do here is, is a very long interview and it is really trying to identify, you know, where are your stressors? What's going on in your life? Are you juggling too much and, and everything like that? But to kind of come back around to your question, the hormones that that I would see off, particularly in the female population, a lot of times it's an excess of estrogen. So they have too much estrogen in their system and they don't have enough progesterone in their system. And progesterone, historically, we thought of this hormone that rises and falls throughout throughout the menstrual cycle. And it's responsible for the shedding of the endometrial lining which, you know, fantastic. Yes. The rise and fall does, is responsible for the period, but progesterone also sustains a pregnancy. It's also a very potent anti-anxiety and every cell in your body has a progesterone receptor. So we know it's not limited to the uterus. So we look at it like that. Now also testosterone can be pretty low in some of these women as well. Mm -hmm. And we think of testosterone as a male hormone, but women actually make more testosterone than they make estrogen because we measure estrogen in the picograms, which is going to be one trillionth of a gram. And we measure testosterone in nanograms, which is going to be one billionth of a gram. So women actually do have more testosterone than they do estrogen if everything's working appropriately. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It really is a marriage of the three hormones when they're working in concert together that makes the female body function appropriately. But you know, at the end of the day, just remember women make people Men, all we have to do is spread our seed. So like I could give, a, <laughs> exactly, right. I can give a guy testosterone and he feels on top of the world where sometimes women come in and they're looking for that. They're looking for that kick that their husband has. And a lot of times it's just not there and, and it, because there's so much more going on in, in, a, in a woman's life. And so would you say then for women, the most common are testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. But the tricky part is figuring out the balance between all of them because they can be off. One can be up, down basically. Yes. And then they also have different, they have different, you have different phases. And so when you're looking, when you're looking at a woman's hormones, it's important to identify what phase of her menstrual cycle that she's actually in. 
So if you get early on, you would expect to have kind of a lowish estrogen and a lowish progesterone, especially if it's right after, if it's right after menstruation. And then if you were to land on ovulation, well, then your, your hormonal, your hormone ratio could be all over the place. So in general, yeah. So in general, when, when, or at least the way I was trained, when I try to gather, you know, your progesterone into estrogen ratio, we say mid luteal phase. And so mid luteal phase is going to be in between days 18 to 21 of a cycle, because I should have a, I should be able to ascertain a very good progesterone to estrogen ratio. Now, that's a little complicated. So especially if you're having a hard time getting in to see your physician or your practitioner, but if you're able to pull that off to get the blood work done days 18 to 21, and this is also dependent upon regular menstruation, right? So like if you're, if you're having a period every 14 days, that means something else can be off and it gets a little trickier. Oh, so but you're, you're saying to go in when you do, if you do think your hormones are off to go in during that time period, cause that's when they would be the most stable. Oh yeah. Well, that's the best. We're going to get the best read. So I'm going to know oh, if your progesterone to estrogen ratio, mid luteal phase. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. And so the traditional, yeah, a, a, the menstrual cycle, if everything is working right, should be a 28 day cycle. So it's based off of kind of like a lunar cycle, the way the, the you know, the moon works. And so the testosterone can be a little variable throughout the day. In general, we know that both men and women are going to have their highest level of testosterone early in the morning. And so if you get an early morning read days 18 to 21 of your cycle with day one being the first day that you start menstruating, you're going to have the best overall picture of what is actually happening with your hormones. So oh, that is a good awesome. place to start. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Cause I've never even thought of that. I always just think, Oh, I feel weird. Just go get tested. But you're saying that's, I understand if you feel off, but you should do it at the optimal time to get tested between you know, 18 and 21 days, that would be the optimal to get the best read. That's, that's amazing. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I mean, at least that's the way I was trained and, and it's the way that we try to do it on our practice here, because that way, you know, I can get the good ratio and you can see some trends and, you know, but if you're, if you're off, they do certain specialty labs out there and I'll give a plug for one called ZRT. Uh, so ZRT does a saliva test and they have a test called menstrual mapping. So if somebody is very, very, very off and they're completely unpredictable, it's not the cheapest test, but you could ask your practitioner to be like, Hey, I know ZRT has a test. It's called menstrual mapping. And what they do is they kind of view your hormone levels over the entire course of a month. And if you've been suffering with dysmenorrhea or any other, you know, significant problem, it's a good place to start to try to identify what's actually happening in your body. Awesome. And um, for those of you who don't know, dysmenorrhea is when you lose your period. What are the three? It's a triangle. So, so well, so, so, so dysmenorrhea is, is more of like dysfunctional, uh, menstruation. Amenorrhea would be oh, if okay. you're, Thank if you. you don't have your period anymore. That's all right. No, it's fine. Okay. Um, and so that there is an option to do that as well. And so I can tell you though, based off of trends that I see women that come in in that mid luteal phase. So mid luteal phase being days 18 to 21, when women have a very good progesterone number, so like they're just, they're progesterone, they're cranking progesterone out. Those tend to be the women that feel better. And they tend to be the women that have less trouble getting pregnant. When women come in with a very low progesterone, it could speak to a lot of other problems, particularly with fertility. Um, and so that's, would be kind of an indicator, especially if you are trying to conceive, you might talk to your, your family practitioner, you know, if they're, 
if they're educated in this or your, your gynecologist or whoever that you go to see that you trust, you might want to do an assessment for PCOS. And so PCOS is short for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And what it is, is it's, it's, we call it PCOS, but a lot of women don't have the, the multiple, you know, eggs going on at the same time. What'll happen is, is that it's a condition of hyperinsulinemia. Uh, the blood sugar is too high. And when your blood sugar is too high, you can throw some of your other hormones out of whack. And then it makes it very ah. difficult to make enough of your own progesterone. And you end up having the situation to where you make too much testosterone too much estrogen, but you don't have enough progesterone to balance out the estrogen and it could run into issues. And I and know PCOS affects weight loss as well. Like if, when people have that quite often, correct? It does. And so anybody, anytime anybody has ever been diagnosed with PCOS, or if, if you get that label, or if somebody comes to you and they say ha they have PCOS, it is a condition where you're making too much insulin. And so you have too much insulin, which is the result of too much blood sugar. And, you know, to quote Dr. Jason Fung, who, you know, he's like, you know, in, in the obesity code, it's a great book for anybody who's struggling with weight loss because he goes into the physiology of this. Insulin is your primary fat storage hormone. So if you have an elevated fasting insulin and you're struggling to lose weight, it's a very good indicator that you probably are not doing a very good job with carbohydrate control. And so that is another thing. It all leads in together. So some of the other signs of PCOS, just, you know, just for your information is what we call hirsutism. And that is where you start to grow hair above, you know, you kind of grow that mustache. Uh, oh, you okay, can end yeah. up with alopecia and some balding weight gain, you know, you have, you have irregular periods if you have a period at all. And then in these women, sometimes they do present to the clinic and the goal is, Hey, if I get some testosterone, maybe I can gain some muscle. Maybe I could lose some weight. We do blood work and you find out that the testosterone is actually kind of high to begin with. And so if you are a woman with PCOS and you have high testosterone, do not let somebody put you on more testosterone. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. We have to fix the carbohydrate situation, the insulin situation first. If we take the time to fix those, we're going to have a better outcome in the end run too. So, uh, yes. Okay. That makes sense. So what are some, uh, so we kind of talked about some of the hormones that are most commonly off and we've gotten into a few other things. What are some main signs that women can look for? I know obviously everyone knows being tired and you know maybe low libido, but what are some that maybe people don't think about to like watch out for? So we've talked about, you know, and I kind of let us go down the pathway a little early. We talked about the sex hormones. And so I just do want to make a comment that it's important for us to come back around to thyroid and vitamin D. But with the sex hormones in mind, it's really estrogen dominance. And what I would, what I would suggest everybody listening that if you're interested, do this. Google DuckDuckGo or whatever your search engine is the signs of estrogen dominance in a body. And a lot of times this is going to be moodiness. This is going to be fatigue. This is going to be loss of libido. Um, this is going to be water retention. This is going to be weight gain, particularly around the waist and hips. Um, you know, heat and cold sensitivity in some cases, although that tends to be a thyroid situation, but you're just not going to feel yourself. You're going to be thinking that, wow, I put on fat so easily. I have a hard time taking it off. And I just can't build muscle. 
and your estrogen is so high that it's basically saturating your receptors in your brain and you're not getting enough testosterone and then potentially your progesterone is just incapable of balancing out the estrogen. So those are signs of estrogen dominance. And if that is the case, then it's, it's, it's really, it is a good time to, to have a discussion with your practitioner about it, mainly because there are approaches that you could use. Um, I don't particularly like the pharmacologic approaches in this one. I don't think it yields good results. I think that we really always have to come back to lifestyle and lifestyle in general, I would say for that is let's get the soy out of your diet because soy is a phytoestrogen. And so it's going to function like an estrogen in the body. Yep. If you're microwaving plastic, we need to stop doing that. When you're drinking out of, out of bottles, don't reuse those cheap plastic bottles. You're, you're absorbing plastics into your system and they're also going to function like an endocrine disruptor. You don't want your food sprayed with Roundup on it. So organic is better. Your food should eat what your food is supposed to eat. So grass or so cows are supposed to eat grass. Buffalo are supposed to eat grass. Chickens are not vegans. So when you look at <laughs> vegan, so when, yeah, so when you look at like, oh, vegan raised chickens, that's fantastic, but that's not what chickens eat. Chickens eat mice, worms, bugs, insects. They'll eat pretty much anything, but we want our food to eat what our food is supposed to eat also. So what do you say to the woman who's like, I know I should eat organic, but I don't have maybe the money to, what would you say would be maybe the quickest, not quickest, I mean, nothing's a quick fix, the best options to start with if they were trying to kick out some of those things. I think the bottles is a fantastic idea because I feel like that's super simple to, you know, switch out bottles. But what other ones do you feel like would be the most beneficial? So first things first, I would say there's a website out there called Environmental Working Group. Mm -hmm. And they have two lists on there that are free to everybody. So the first one is the Dirty Dozen. So the dirty dozen are a list of fruits and vegetables with the most pesticides sprayed on them. Oh, These are going to be spinach, <laughs> right? It's good. I know I probably should have told you before, but it's like spinach and strawberries are going to be on there. And so when you're looking at a list of foods that's on the dirty dozen, it's, it's imperative that you just don't eat those or you're going to get those organic. Okay, then there's also, an, yeah, there's another list out there called the clean 15. And so your clean 15 are going to be the fruits and vegetables with the least amount of pesticides that are used in production of them. So for cost, you know, affordability, use those two lists to kind of guide your practice. And so that would go a long way for you. Absolutely. That, so that's that the very first thing I would do. Fantastic tip. That is a great tip. I love that. And that makes sense because we've talked about, I mean, the, the estrogen dominance makes complete sense because as I've dabbled so much in postpartum, I know after the placenta is delivered that progesterone drops and then all the time it doesn't balance out with the estrogen, which is why sometimes people have issues after postpartum. But that makes sense even during um, menopause and later on that that can be really common and your signs are like so normal. I feel like a lot of people will say those things. So that's a really great thing to think about is that estrogen dominance. It is. So I have another question for you. We talked a little bit about like what a woman, when she should go in and get tested. So I want to ask you, when would be a good time for a woman postpartum? Because I know that your hormones are all sorts of wacky for a while, especially when you're 
um, nursing? And then I also want to ask, what do they, what do they ask for? I know a lot of people say, I don't even know what to ask my doctor. I don't even know how to find a doctor to like ask these questions. Or when I do, I feel like they blow me off. So when, so I guess that's kind of a twofold question. It's, it's good. So like, so when we're, when we're postpartum and we're breastfeeding, we're, we're going to be stimulating the production of prolactin and prolactin can have a suppressive effect on other hormones as well. So while we're breastfeeding, it's not, you're not always going to get a really good read on what your hormones are doing. Now I'm a huge fan of breastfeeding. I think that's nature's way. It's the perfect food. You have the, you have the passive immunity. So I'm always going to be a fan of it. Some people can't do it and we do all right with, with bottle feeding and things like that. So just understanding that, you know, I'm not judging here by all, but whenever possible, I like the idea of breastfeeding. So as a general rule, if you really want to find out what your hormones are doing, it should be at least after you've had a menstrual cycle. So like if you haven't had a menstrual cycle after delivering, your hormones are going to be off for a little while. And even then I'm speaking very generally because there's so much individuality of what's going on. So if you've been menstruating regularly, say you've been menstruating regularly for a couple months, you're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm on a 28 day cycle. Things have seemed like they've gone back to normal. Maybe I'm not breastfeeding anymore. Same thing. Days 18 to 21 is a good time to get tested, to, to see where you're at. And then even understanding that in six months down the road, you could find yourself in a different spot too. Particularly if you're waking up all night long, if like, if you're like, all right, I ain't getting any sleep right now because my Uh. kids wake all night long and that's going to have an effect also. So, so that's one thing, but what I would, what I would say a, a very good like set of labs to, to look at for the sex hormones would be, I would want, I'd want a CBC. So this is a complete blood count. And this is just a good thing to have in general. It tells you your white blood cells, hey people, your get red out blood your cells. pen and paper, get out your pen and paper. He's going to tell you what to ask you. Right. So, so, so I'll repeat it again. Right. So you want a CBC. So a complete blood count. You want a CMP, and this is going to be your comprehensive metabolic panel. So this is going to give me some kidney function. This is going to give me some liver function. Then this is going to give me some electrolytes. All right. In general, these are not very expensive tests. We should include them pretty routinely because you catch a lot with these tests. Now, as far as your hormonal state, well, two of the hormones that are tropic hormones, meaning that they're released from a gland and they work at another at another organ are going to be your follicle stimulating hormone or FSH and your luteinizing hormone LH. Normally these things are ordered in pairs. You normally get one with the other. And then what you want to do is you want to get an estradiol. So, uh, that's, is going to be your potent form of estrogen. And then you want a testosterone with your free testosterone. You just, you don't want just a total. You want a free testosterone with your testosterone. Oh, and what then does you that want to mean free testosterone with testosterone. So testosterone, your total testosterone is largely going to be bound up by carrier proteins in the blood. Okay. And so I can learn a lot about somebody by how much sex hormone binding globulin they have. And so to an extent, your total testosterone is going to be a combination of free testosterone, loosely bound testosterone by albumin, which is a protein that's a carrier protein. And then it gets very tightly bound up to this thing called sex hormone binding globulin. And so your free testosterone is what's kind of the leftover. It's, it's basically ah. like your biologically available testosterone to do things like build muscle, to okay, have libido. So it's like the free that can do the jobs. 
<laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. And so you could learn a lot about somebody's level. So like if you have a very high free testosterone, but you have a low total testosterone, that speaks to metabolic syndrome. Because when you have too high of blood sugar, you don't make as much sex hormone binding globulin. And that could tell me something about like, Ooh, you got, you got a high free testosterone. This tells me that you probably have an insulin and a carbohydrate issue. So that clues me in on something else to work on. Okay. Conversely, if you have like a kind of a normal total testosterone, but a very low free testosterone, that also tells me some stories about you. But in general, just please understand it's a generalization. But okay. when you have, when you have high sex hormone binding globulin, it's generally a sign of health. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. So just keep, okay. keep that in mind. Okay. And then you want to get a progesterone. All right. So then you get your progesterone. And so now you've got your three major sex hormones there. You've got your luteinizing hormone and follicostimulant hormone, which tells me how happy your brain is with your current level of hormone. Am I, do I have a high luteinizing hormone? Do I have a high follicostimulant hormone? And then like a woman's health practitioner should be able to interpret what that means for you. So those are really good basic female hormones to look at. And then if we're going to look for thyroid labs, so like, so say you suspect you have a thyroid problem and thyroid problems might present, like I have a really hard time with cold. Um, I'm losing hair. I'm gaining weight. My eyebrows are starting to thin at the edges. That's a big kicker right there for you. So you have really? some of these I've things. I've never that heard of that one. That's an interesting one. Yeah. So lateral thinning of the eyebrows can, can denote a, uh, a thyroid problem. Um, low fatigue or you have low energy and you're like, ah, things just aren't working. I can't figure out what's going on. I'm hardly eating anything, but I'm gaining all this weight. And so you want a thyroid screen. Okay. And so your typical thyroid labs pulled by most practitioners are going to involve a TSH or a thyroid stimulating hormone and a free T4. Okay. Well, unfortunately, those two don't tell the whole story. So what you want to ask for is you want to ask for a free T3 because the free T3 is the version of thyroid that actually binds to the receptor. And then you also want to ask for reverse T3. So a reverse T3, if it's elevated, means that we're not converting my T4 to T3 appropriately. And then we need to find out why. Is it a vitamin D deficiency? Is it an iodine deficiency? Is it a magnesium deficiency? B vitamin deficiency, selenium deficiency. I mean, the list could go on and on and on, but it's a matter of finding first off the right practitioner who's willing to talk to you about this stuff. But if you look up some of the stuff I talked about, it's probably going to clue you into some pretty good resources online that could help kind of help you become a better advocate for yourself in, in the process too. I love that in you a, said that because like you said, if you're, if you feel like your doctor is not listening to you or isn't willing to do some of these tests, and now Chris has given you some of them, don't be scared to look for a new one. And and that's okay. Cause not everyone necessarily loves or focuses in this area. Like I've had even OBs that really are good about postpartum. And I've had other OBs who it's like, see you later. You had a baby and never want to see you again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I it's love about you're saying, you know, advocate for your health and go elsewhere. If you think that your doctor's not listening to you. Absolutely. So the two more tests that I would add on there, just as I would add on an antithyroglobulin and I would add on TPO antibodies. And that's just so that we could rule out that you're having an autoimmune condition with the thyroid tube, because it's pretty common, particularly among women. Um, 
you know, we could actually do a full podcast on thyroid very easily just with the foods that, that aren't, that aren't there, but just, this is a really good place to start. And then I would also like to say that we're not alone when we have these problems. We're not alone when we have these, these thoughts even like, is something wrong with me? Is something wrong with my libido? I can't figure out what's going on because I could tell you it's a very common theme. And so if you're comfortable talking to your friends about, Hey, you know, I've got these, these ideas or these thoughts, and they might actually tell you, Hey, I've got this practitioner that I see is amazing. You ought to go see them. Well, they just did the majority of the work. You got a firsthand referral to a practitioner that they really like, who might listen to you, who might go deep into the thyroid. It's a much better way to do it than just randomly picking a name out of who your insurance coverage works with. Yeah. I mean, if you can ask your friends, you know, what kind of baby bottle to buy your kids or what shoes are the best, we should be able to ask them, Hey, do you have a good doctor? <laughs> I would agree. Yes. It's just, it's so like, I'm a big fan of referral based stuff. I know even in my life, if I've got like something going on with my back or, you know, I see a physical therapist, I do this, but almost everybody that I've ever seen as a practitioner, at least for like the last 10 years was a firsthand referral of somebody else. And hundred percent of all those people I went and saw have become my friends because we become colleagues. We, you know, we, we send patients back and forth to each other because I don't know, it's just, you, you want to create that network of people that you can trust. You want, these are, these are your corner. These are people in your corner, your family practitioner, your women's health specialist. These should be someone who you like. They should be approachable. They should be someone who listens to you talk. You know, understanding it's a busy world and everybody's got to do what they do, but you should have an approachable person in family practice and in women's health. When you're looking for a surgeon, look, you just want a talented surgeon. Like you want a talented surgeon. You're not going to see this guy or woman that often in your life. Get the talent. But when you're talking about a coordinator of your care, it should be somebody that you could actually say, yeah, I like that person. It really shouldn't. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense to me. And I think a lot of people don't think that. I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's a doctor. They know best, whatever they say. And that's is, just not true. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're a doctor, but like there's a millions of doctors and not all of them are perfect for you. <laughs> well, I've got a, I've got a joke for you real quick. So what do you call the guy who graduated lowest in his class from medical school? What? Doctor. <laughs> so just think about it like that for a second. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So just think about it for a second. You, but I you, like getting through this. <laughs> no, that's all right. But you said so we get through, you know, we all have to jump no, through the hoops true. in order it's to work true. here. But yeah, it's 100% so just- true. <laughs> I love that. It's true. So if you guys ask, you know, for these tests, these are great examples of some tests. Something else I wanted to ask you. Well, let me first finish that thought. If you ask for these tests and your doctor blows you off, ask your friends find a new doctor, find someone who doesn't blow you off. Cause I agree. When I went and saw Chris, he was fantastic. We had this whole meeting and we explained things. And for me that what was off was a little different, which I'm going to ask you about now. I actually, when we got my test results back, Chris was like, you're, you're pretty normal, but your vitamin D is low. And that's why you're tired. Cause I went in cause I was like, I'm so tired. I feel like I sleep really well. I exercise, I eat pretty good, but I was super tired and my vitamin D was off. So kind of piggybacking, you know, on some of those, you know, normal things to look for, but to ask for doctors, what are like some vitamins that are often, you know, off or can affect women? Okay. Yeah. That's, this is a, this is a great topic. So, so first off, I think most practitioners that understand vitamin D could all agree. We really wish it was never called vitamin D. Uh, We wish it was called hormone D because it is a hormone in the body. 
So vitamin D has many, many functions within the body. Um, you know, without, without opening up the can of worms that is COVID, if you look at the studies, if you, if you search vitamin D and COVID, you're going to find study after study, after study, after study, after study that shows that your outcomes with COVID are horrible if you're clinically low in vitamin D. The you're reason not the is, first is person I've actually heard this from. I've heard this from two other doctors on different podcasts. So I'm I'm with you on this. I'm following. Absolutely. You. So vitamin D is a very potent, very potent immune system regulator. And so we want it. So we are creatures of the sun. There's a reason we get depressed when we don't get sunlight and we don't see sunlight. Um, vitamin D tends to be synthesized with sunlight exposure. Um, for a while there, we were attributing longevity to vitamin D, but we also know that sunlight itself stimulates the production of nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is one of your most potent antioxidants for the inner lining of your arteries. So of course, I'm, I'm a fan of sunlight. I don't want you to burn. I mean, we live in Arizona. So in Arizona, of course, we have to be a little more careful. But vitamin D itself is, is huge. And so unfortunately, there's quite a few insurance companies that don't pick up the cost of vitamin D. And so their rationale is, well, if everybody's low, we know it's low, but you know, if, if you treat with vitamin D, you kind of want to make sure you're, you're in the sweet spot and, and people disagree on the sweet spot. So I'll give you the reference range, which generally goes from like 30 to in some cases up to a hundred. But when we look at like some of the healthiest indigenous populations on the planet, you know, these are Kenyans called the Maasai. They're in the sunlight all day long. They basically don't even have metabolic disease. They're powerful hunters, beautiful white teeth. Um, their average vitamin D level is about a 46. And so if I'm thinking about what is a good vitamin D level, I think a 46 is pretty good. So like if you're somewhere between like a 30 and a 60, I think you're in a good spot. I'll just put it like that. We seem to get the benefits no. conveyed if that's the case. Um, so vitamin D is responsible for well over 300 functions that we are aware of in the body, including proper thyroid function. Ah. Vitamin D being low could lead to depression. So we know it's huge. It's a big deal for us. And so you could ask your practitioner to run a vitamin D level on you. Um, but if you don't want to get that surprise $125 bill from the insurance company when they reject the vitamin D, or if they do ask for the cash pay price, like I know in my office, uh, we do a vitamin D test for $25 here. Um, it's just the contracted rate that we have with LabCorp. So whenever somebody asks me for a vitamin D, I always just tell them, look, I don't want to run this through your insurance. I'm going to do this through your, I mean, I want to do this cash pay. So that way we don't get surprised. So I do it on a separate lab requisition. I don't want to, don't go to your practitioner saying that, oh, this is $25 because I don't know what their rates are, how they charge, what they bill. It's, it's very much dependent on them, but just understand. Yeah, but you're saying you, if they do a cash pay, it could be a lot cheaper is what you're saying. It's going to be, it should be significantly cheaper. What okay. you don't want is the surprise bill from the insurance company rejected it. So vitamin D is huge. Um, for everybody, but I mean, we spend too much time indoors. We don't spend enough time outdoors. It's just, it is what it is. It's, it's the new way of life. Um, that's a big one. The other one is that, you know, it, it's a story I hear a lot, you know, women prefer carbs over protein. And if, if that's the case, or if you have decided for health or ethical reasons that you are going to pursue, you're going to pursue a, uh, a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet, 
I highly recommend supplementing with a B complex because your B vitamins are largely found in muscle meat, particularly red meat for there. And so if you have low vitamin B status, you could find yourself in a whole slew of problems as well. So if you are somebody who's like, I only eat white meat and I am going to do, or I'm going to do the vegan thing. Okay. Get a good B complex. That's it's, it, you need to do that. That's a great um, tip. I didn't know that before. And I do have clients who are vegans. And so now I can give that tip. Thank you for that. Yeah. So vegan, so, so the, the deficiencies that vegans are going to often find themselves in, um, are going to be your B vitamins and you could run into some issues with choline as well. And so choline is like the backbone of acetylcholine, which is a very important neurotransmitter that, that basically tells your muscles to fire. And so choline is largely found in places like red meat. It's found in places like, uh, egg yolks, um, organ meat, things like that. Whereas if you find it in nature, I want to say that flaxseed has it. I'm sorry, I don't have the list up, but you could also supplement with a choline supplement. And I think for general health purposes and just fantastic liver health, because choline is great for the liver, um, you want to be somewhere around four to 600 milligrams of choline a day. Um, okay. For those people who are willing to eat eggs, uh, the egg yolk has 120 milligrams of choline in it. So, I mean, you could do basic math. If you're getting like three to four egg yolks a day, you're probably doing pretty good. And so okay. like, I personally am not a big fan of eating just the egg white. I actually, I, I think there's more nutrients in the egg yolk. So I do like that as well. Um, and those are the big ones for like, so for my vegan patients where I really kind of harp on is I want to make sure that they're getting adequate B vitamins and I want to make okay. sure they're getting adequate choline. And it seems to be that if we can, if we can ameliorate those two issues and I can find a way to get the protein up in the diet, ideally without using soy, um, you know, hemp hearts are a great source of protein for your, for your vegans out there. And, um, rice and pea protein is a, is a pretty decent alternative also. Good. That's good so, so we can make things work, um, you know, and also bringing in nuts and seeds, pistachio nuts are chock full of, of nutrients. Uh, so those are pretty good too. So just a few options, just to, you know, if you're going to optimize health, we'll just make sure we're getting it done kind of the right way. And I know protein is a tricky one. I mean, you know, choosing a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle aside, even just for women who do eat, they still struggle with protein because it's not as convenient and where they're on the go. It's so much more convenient to grab a carbohydrate, you know? So I know that that's something I feel like everyone, I know I harp on my clients about the protein. I feel like I I feel like that's the hardest thing for most women is getting that protein in. They don't realize how low majority of them are. Yeah. I mean, so anybody who's kind of like, I would say a protein denier at this point, um, it's just your neurotransmitters are, are fabricated from amino acids. So your neurotransmitters are the things that make you feel good. They're the things that help you with your emotions. Um, the only thing that can build in a body is protein. And so if you think of protein as like the brick and mortar, it's very important to have adequate amounts. Now I'm a little, I'm a little aggressive on the protein content I like for, for my patients. And so the way I do it is, you know, I like at least, I like at least a gram per kilogram of body weight. Um, that is what I would say is the bare minimum. And I would say that if we are really trying to be optimal, you're going to push a gram per pound of lean body mass. And so lean body mass, there's multiple ways to calculate it. I'm lazy here. I got this in body machine in my office. And so it calculates it for me. 
And those are kind of the range that I want someone to fit between. If I have someone who eats on the upper end of protein, they tend to be a little more athletic. They tend to get a little bit more muscle. They tend to feel a little bit better. So of course I try to push people in, in, in that direction as much as possible too. And so yeah, protein, protein's kind of a big deal. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I like that you explain those vitamins because I do think that people forget about that as well. Sometimes you always think, oh, it's this well, or that, but explaining. Let me helps. give a, let me just like, there's, I want to give another plug for magnesium also. So magnesium is this, this electrolyte. It's relatively cheap. Um, but magnesium is, is a beautiful, smooth muscle relaxer. And if anybody's struggling with sleep at all, or even blood pressure issues for that matter, because, you know, the, the magnesium deficiency can lead to insomnia and magnesium deficiency can lead, can lead to an increase in blood pressure as well. And so the average American gets about 200 milligrams of magnesium a day. And the minimum recommended daily allowance is 400 milligrams. Now, a word on the recommended daily allowance. This thing was established back in World War II as the minimum amount of nutrients required to keep a World War II soldier alive. Now, let's <laughs> think about that for a second, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. So World War II, like we're talking about guys that weighed 140, 145 pounds. All right. We are much larger than that now. Yeah. So our nutritional requirements, particularly if we're going to be optimal, are going to be north of that. Now, you can test for magnesium levels. Um, a regular serum magnesium, not super awesome. So like if you really want to take this to the next level and you talk to your doctor, really what you want is you want a red blood cell magnesium level. You're going to get a better indicator of your magnesium status that way. Those are a little more difficult to do in the office. And so that one might require a lab requisition to where they actually send you a lab. But most people will be okay for writing for that just to see what it is. Now, not all magnesium is created equal. So like if you're going to take a magnesium citrate or you're going to take a magnesium oxide, you're probably going to have some loose bowels because it's going to work on the bowels. So, but if you're looking for magnesium for health purposes, I like the idea of a magnesium glycinate, or if you have an anxiety or if you're having kind of like some, some pretty potent sleeplessness, there's a form of magnesium out there called magnesium l 3 eight. Uh, the brand or the people that discovered it are for this company called Magteen. That's M-A-G-T-E-I-N. That is a fantastic form of magnesium. And most people will find that they increase the amount of deep sleep they have uh, if they take Magteen before going to bed. Now, can you get um, this magnesium over the counter? Do you need a subscription or prescription? Not a subscription. <laughs> no, no. Magnesium. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on oh. Amazon. You can get it anywhere. You just really, you you're looking for- Do you have a brand that you like? Because I know that that can, I know sometimes brands can be sketchy. Do you happen to have a brand you like? So I like the brand Magteen because these are the oh. guys from MIT that discovered the magnesium L3 and 8. Oh, okay. And then cool. it- yeah. And then if we're talking about the B complex or if we're talking about the, the magnesium or we're talking about other supplements in general, you got a few really good pharmaceutical grade brands out there. So biotics research is, is amazing. Metagenics is another good one, uh, but metagenics really should be a practitioner exclusive. So if you find it, uh, it really, you're not supposed to find that one out. That's actually supposed to be actually done by the, by the physician. Um, the other one that I really like that you can get on Amazon uh, is Thorn Research. Um, so Thorn Research is a really good one. Um, Pure Encapsulation has a pretty good reputation. Um, 
they got bought out by Nestle though. And I just don't know what that means. So I don't, I want to reserve comment on it, but like Nestle bought them. So what does that even mean? Right. Um, <laughs> like Nestle, you know, I, like chocolate chip cookies, Nestle. <laughs> yes. Nestle chocolate chip cookies. And so like, I'm like, like yeah, but I'm whole house Nestle. <laughs> yes. Then. So that's why I'm like, I just don't know. I don't know. But I know that if you stick with biotics, uh, metagenics or Thorn research, you're, you're in good company. I'll put it like that. Okay. Perfect. That, that helps. Cause I thought, Oh, I could definitely do a magnesium. I think that'd be good. I've heard that about sleep and even helps you relax and stuff. So I'm glad that you gave me those brands. So we kind of yeah. talked about, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, if, 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 if when in doubt, you're not sure, you know, what supplements to take fundamentally, I'm going to say a multivitamin, I'm going to say some magnesium and I'm going to say vitamin D. Like that's where I'm going to be like, these are kind of these core really good supplements that most people are going to do all right with it. Now don't go over the recommended dosage because that, that really, if you're going to go out, if you're going to play outside of bounds, you need to talk to your, your provider about that. But if, if just like as a core, I'm going to use these supplements on a regular basis and you're going to get a lot of good effect out of the body with magnesium, vitamin D and a multivitamin. Okay. That's perfect. That's great. I feel like we covered a ton of things. I want to kind of end with one last question. Um, I want to ask, like, what can we do naturally to help balance our hormones? I know we went over, you know, stress, lowering the stress, trying to improve our sleep. Um, we talked about soy and watching that in our diet. But, like, what other foods could we be aware of or any other thing that you would say if you met someone and you said they asked you, like, how can I do this naturally? Like, what would be your best tips to tell them? So removing inflammatory toxins is is going to be number one now they're everywhere we, we don't know what's being pumped out by your neighbor's house by you know by the automobiles by by whatever so like if if you could eat clean whole foods and avoid processed foods in general it's a good idea now I, i've got this this thought that in general when you're looking at food ask yourself how many steps from nature is that that carrot, that potato, that egg, uh, that steak, that chicken, you know, what have you. Those are all like one step so from when nature. when there's 27 ingredients on the label, that's too many steps. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think it's just too highly processed. So like, yeah, so that's number that. one. That makes sense. I think that everybody would be healthier if they take out any wheat out of their diet, if they take out any soy out of their diet, and then if you get corn out of your diet. Now, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I do like some popcorn every once in a while. Um, but those are other good ones. So you could start there. Also getting what enough is sleep. What about corn? Well, so corn, corn, wheat, soy, and sorghum are kind of these middle America crops. And a lot of these things are these GMO. And so GMO stands for genetic, genetically modified. And when they modified these things, they made them resistant to Roundup. And so Roundup, the active ingredient is glyphosate. And glyphosate is what they spray on the crops to get the weeds off of them. And it also makes like the ears of corn and wheat fall off. And so it makes it easier to harvest. And so when you do that, you're absorbing the chemicals that have been sprayed on it. And so those are the main ones. And there's, there's a pretty deep history about subsidies and these crops also. So like, I don't think these are ideal foods, let alone the ingredients that they have in them are not, they're not really awesome for people. But that, that makes sense. That makes total you, sense. You do that. But then, and there's also give, I'll give a plug to Dr. Mark Hyman. So he actually put out a book not too long ago called the food fix. It's not like a, it's not guidelines on a way to eat, but it more tells you about the current state of 
the food industry right now and with processed foods. And if you really want to educate yourself on, Hey, you know, what do I need to look out for? You know, what is going on out there? Because there's always, there's a lot of talk about fixing big healthcare. There's not a lot of talk about fixing big food. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that the reason big healthcare is the problem that it is, is because our big food has a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So if we could, if we could stop, if we could stop the bleed at the source, which really comes down to a lot of the food that we're eating on a regular basis, we could find ourselves living much more fruitful, healthier lives. So that's, that's kind of health is, is often what you don't eat is what you do. And so that's kind of the thought process. So the more you go down the rabbit hole, the more you see, you know, what is good for me, you know, challenge the dogma out there, you know? So like for forever, it was, you know, fat makes you fat carbs are good for you. And we see how that worked out. Um, so, you know, what, what were my ancestors eating? What am I built to eat? How many steps from nature is my food? These are the ways where I would start, I would look at, I would start looking at stuff like that. You know, wh- what is the simplest explanation, you know, that I could find? Well, I just don't want poisoned food. I'm like, well, that's a really good place to start for overall health. And what you'll find yourself doing is largely living like a bodybuilder lifestyle if you do that. Because, you know, if you think about what bodybuilders eat, you know, chicken and rice, you know, green vegetables, some steak and some sirloin and things like that. And it might seem bland, but they do a pretty good job of building these big, strong bodies and losing fat. So if that is what the goal is, you might take that side of, you know, of the bodybuilding world for what it is. You could leave the drugs out, um, but still, <laughs> yeah, I no, just like they could take anything and make it unhealthy. But if you look at it like that, you're like, what are bodybuilders eating? You know, how does this work? And you'll see that it's very, very clean diets are what's making these champions out there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So basically we could just clean up our diet. And part of it is if we could reduce that stress, we wouldn't have those cravings. Like we talked about wanting the quick sugar fix, the quick, you know, so all of that's kind of linked into hormones. Yeah, it is. It's all interrelated. So it's, it's the idea of, of, you know, kind of what my practice is, is it's this, this philosophy called integrative medicine. And you can't really look at what's going on with the heart without checking out the kidneys. You can't look at the kidneys without looking at the liver, you know, and, and it all comes down at the end of the day, when, when you look at your digestive tract, just consider that's your interface with the world, you know, much like a dog or a child puts things in their mouth to experience the world. Well, that is kind of our interface. And yeah. if, and, and the more poison we put in our mouth, that's the more poison we're bringing into our body. And so those are the little things that I would look at. And, you know, it's, it is a constant, constant learning experience. Even some of the stuff that I talked about today, you know, in five years, I might have kind of a evolved opinion on it, but if we're moving in the right direction, we're trying, everyone's trying to get sleep. Everyone's trying to reduce stress, you know, whatever methodology that you want to use. I personally like lifting weights. I think that's a great way to do some stress relief. I know you agree with that. Yeah, um, weights. And then also I just don't want to waste my workout. So I don't want to waste my workout by drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes or eating a bunch of junk food. Like, I, you know, when I'm up at four in the morning, you know, and I get ready to go hit the gym, I, you know, I paid my dues in the morning. And so I'm much more likely to eat healthy throughout the rest of the day because I want to rebuild my body with, with quality nutrients. So that's just very, very simplistic thinking, but I don't think this has to be as complex as we make it. I think if we're eating real food and we're hitting that protein number and we want our quality sources of fat and we don't want to overdo the carbohydrates, you could end up pretty good on the other side of this. That makes complete sense. I like how you simplified at the end. It fits perfect for my audience. I'm so glad that you took the time today to come in for the interview. And I love all the tips you got, you gave us. It was just fantastic. Thank you so much. I was happy to be here. 
Yes, I was happy to have you. And if you are an Arizonian, if you live in Arizona, I will link his information in the show notes. He, where are you in Gilbert or Chandler? So I'm in Gilbert, kind of, uh, kind of at the cross section of of Gilbert Chandler, and I do take care of a lot of people that live in the Queen Creek area too. Okay, perfect. So I will link his information because if you don't have a doctor that you feel like supporting you, Chris will. <laughs> I'd be happy again, to do it. Chris. <laughs> All right, thanks, Andrea. All right, bye. All right, bye.